Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Ooh, you hate to stop that, don't you? Amen. The high king of heaven, my king. Somebody help me. Forever, forever, he's my king. And so this morning, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to Psalm number 149. Psalm number 149. Did you have fun getting in the building this morning? Amen. Kind of pick a door. Maybe have to go up some ramps and things on the single file. I, I looked up after early morning worship and they were, you can imagine 500 and about 40 folk in the room trying to go out that one door. And uh, it was really interesting. Um, but the preacher, God helped him uh, preach a shorter word. Can you believe that? Some of y'all said, who was the preacher? I know, surprisingly, it was me. I did preach the early service. Can you believe that? And uh, this morning, I want to say to you this. You ready? I'm so thankful that it was a little inconvenient for you to get in here. And I'm, I'm anticipating there are times when you're going to be tested by God with little small inconveniences to remind you that he never promised he was a God of convenience. He never said there wouldn't be a cost. He never said that uh, he's a little genie in a bottle, a little fairy ready to sprinkle a little dust on our lives and make it easy. Uh, But instead, his promise is that he would be with us all the way to the finish line. Somebody ought to give him praise this morning. Amen. And so uh, you never heard a preacher say, I'm glad it's a little inconvenient for you to get here this morning. But I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's good for us. It helps us in our Western way of thinking that it's not all about us. It's about Him. Sometimes we have to park a little further than we want. Sometimes we need to walk a little further than we want. Sometimes we need to, when we get on the place, pray, God, where would you have me to park? And think about somebody else for a change rather than thinking about ourselves. And it's good for me and you to do that. Aren't you glad you came today? You got a little encouragement there? Oh, that's the prelude to the message, by the way. And so uh, Psalm number 149, a title of our message is A Powerful Way of Life. A Powerful Way of Life. Now, let's talk for a minute about that phrase. It's an idiom. And the idiom is way of life. What is an idiom? It's a figure of speech. It's figuratively speaking. And so you might have heard one like you've taken a, a bitten off more than you can chew. That's an idiom. It's a figure of speech, if you will. And so when I say to you way of life, I want you to think about some things that would be classified as a way of life. Here's the definition of this little phrase. Here's what that word means, way of life, okay? It's the habits, the customs, and the beliefs of a particular person or even a group of people, okay? Leave that definition up there for me just a second, all right? I hope you write that down somewhere. It's the habits, the customs, and the beliefs of a particular person or a group of people. So let's just kind of do a mental exercise. Let's talk about some ways of life in the South. That be okay with y'all? Y'all is a way of life in the South, amen? Uh, Not just that, but you might would say that a large portion of us enjoy the outdoors, hunting. So we would say that hunting is a... Way of life. Many of us in the South enjoy football, right? And so this time of the year, we would say oftentimes that football is a way of life. I'm going to get y'all warmed up. About 10 more and some of y'all are going to participate, okay? I'm going to keep going until you participate back with me. All right, here we go. So we would say that uh, fried chicken is a... There we go. I knew I'd hit on one in a minute. And so we fry everything down here, don't we? 
I'm telling you, we'll fry a Snicker, we'll fry an Oreo, anything a whole steel, we'll fry it. And so fried food is a way of life, right, in the South. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is a way of life in the area of the child of God. Now, first, I want to just kind of give you a little personal insight into our family. Uh, you know, as you start out as a young parent, I hope that you try to set some ways of life for your family, right? And I was thinking back yesterday and even today as I was early this morning praying for us, praying for what God was going to do through this message. And I, I was remembering back to a time when our children were little, and we have a bunch of them. Y'all know that. And so you, you know how they do. They, they get older. They go from the baby carrier to the seat, right? Uh, then they go from the seat. They get, finally, they get big and they graduate to the front seat. Boy, they, I'm telling you, they are, they are some kind of something when they get to sit in the front seat seat. And, and so I can remember ours on kind of a rotating scale. You know, they moved around as they got older. And uh, we would be on the way. And, and something else interesting I found out in my little short lifetime is that is that in different small towns around Mississippi, uh, you can find out uh, what sports are important, okay, uh, if you go to the local the local city park. Y'all know what I'm tra y'all tracking with me? So we would say that in Florence, at least the years that we've been here, 18, 20 years or so that we've been here, uh, we would say that soccer is a way of life. You don't believe it? Go to the fields and watch how many when they have soccer and watch how many people are there. And what you'll find out is usually whatever sport is prevalent in the town, it's big in the city parks. And then generally speaking, they win a, they win a state championship somewhere down the road. And so we've won several girls and some in the boys, but it's because that particular area is focused on one particular sport. And so uh, when our kids were little and I didn't play soccer, I was shocked at how many games you could have in a week. Anybody else? And I remember me and Tina, first-time soccer parents, were like, man, y'all got a game. We got a game win and win and win and three during the week, three on the weekend and what in the world? And they say, oh, this is, this is the way life, you know? And uh, I remember thinking about that on the way to practice, uh, part of our trying to shape them in a way of life. I, there were three things that I would say to my kids to help shape that, shape that way of life. If you ask them right now, they could all tell you. They're smiling right now. They can think of what they are. They would be seated in the back seat and some in the front when they got big enough. And I'd say, all right, guys, here we go. Now we'd be on our, on our way to the soccer fields. And I'd say, here it is. And then they could, they could quote it with you. I'd say, number one, well, I was hoping one of them might pipe up, we love Jesus. And they would, we'd all say it together. And as the years rolled by, they got to where I'd say, all right, number one, and they would beat me. We love Jesus. Number two, y'all remember? Fans never quit. Fans never quit. And number three, we would always say, when we would say it this way, we ain't good yet, we still got to practice. And that was a shaping of a way of life. You ready for my, my little group, my little tribe that I'm responsible for? And so we would say those three things, and they could tell you now, right? Number one, we love Jesus. Number two, fans never quit. Number three, we ain't good yet. We still have to practice. And there are things that shape our way of life, right? Who we are and who we identify with and how we live and even where we live. So this morning, I want us to think about what identifies your way of life if you here are born again, a child of God, okay? And I want to ask a couple of questions before we read the text. First question is this. How many of you were around somebody who complained in the last week? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. Bless your hearts. All right. Uh, how about uh, this question? How many of you have complained in the last week? Raise your hand. <laughs> I love that. It's like same in the early worship. It's like I might as well leave my hand up. Okay, now, the moment of truth. How many of you have complained already this morning? <laughs> Look around. Look at all the hands. The Lord's Day, right? We're going to worship. My man, breakfast wasn't this, and my clothes that, and look at the traffic. we got one door to come in, and they want us to walk, and, and all of this. And, and if we're not careful, complaining becomes, help me somebody, 
Oh, y'all can be to preach this thing, right? A way of life. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid, at least in my little circle of influence around our area, there are too many professing born-again believers whose way of life is that of complaining and negative and always unhappy. And I pray today that through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you'd leave out of here transformed and that your life would be marked by, here it is, you ready? Praise. All praise to the Lord on high, right? And my prayer is that you would understand that more fully as you leave. So, without any further introduction, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet with me. And let's read Psalm number 149 together. We're going to read it in its entirety, 1 through 9. Y'all all right with that? Good, here we go. I'm trying to loosen you up a little bit. Some of you are way too serious this morning. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. And His praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. High king of heaven, my king forever. Let them praise his name with the dance. Uh-oh, my Baptist folk about to get mad. <laughs> Let them praise his name with the dance. dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouths. Uh-oh, and a two-edged sword in their hand. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. And then we, let's say this last part together. Praise the Lord. All right, let's pause for a brief word of prayer. And then we're going to break it down, okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of today. It is, in fact, a gift from you. And you're so gracious and kind to give us another one here. And I thank you, oh God, for all these people. They got up this morning and made a conscious decision to gather and to grow, to get to know you better, and to be changed by you. So, Lord, I pray that today I'd not waste one minute of their time. That, Father, you would, by the gift of your Holy Spirit and the gift you've given me to preach, I pray today it would be evident that it's you and not me. Father, you know I'm so less than ordinary, so put on display today that you are Almighty God and preach this word to us in such a way that the oldest and the youngest all get it. Most intelligent to the least, most educated to the least. All of us understand what you said and how we should apply it. So we trust you now and we ask you to help us and we ask it together all in one accord in the wonderful name of Jesus and the people of God said together, amen. Thank you and you may be seated. We're going to rewind back to the beginning here, all right? So if I was to take those nine verses and boil them down, if you would, and get, get, get one bone out of the deal, if you would, here's the main idea of the passage out of those nine verses. Praising God is a powerful way of life for his people. Now, I'm going to explain all of that in detail, okay? Praising God, y'all help me, is a powerful way of living. It's not just a way of living. It's a powerful way of living, and it's specific to His people, okay? So, praising God is a powerful way of living for His people. Now, I'm going to explain that, and I'm going to point back to that five different ways this morning, uh, four different ways this morning. Now, we're going to have some A's and B's for my color-coded note-takers. Hallelujah. And uh, and I encourage you, if you're here today and you've not brought something to take notes on, I encourage you, if you come back next week, and I hope that you will, bring a little something to jot something down on. Here's why. We forget things really easily. And my hope is not just to spoon-feed you something and see you again next week. But it's to give you something you can go out of here with, you and the Holy Spirit, and can go a little further and spend a little more time in, okay? And uh, God will transform your life that way. So, Roman number one, in verse number 
1, verse number 1, okay? Write this in your notes. We're talking about a powerful way of life. Praising God is a powerful way of life for His people. Number 1, praise the Lord with singing together. Would you write that in your notes there? Praise the Lord with singing together. Now, I'm very specific in the wording, and you'll understand as we go along, okay? Praise the Lord with singing together. How many of you, uh, don't raise your hand, answer on the inside, struggle with just singing, you know? Just singing. All right, let's do this. I'm about to show of hands. How many of you struggle with singing? Raise your hand if you struggle a little bit with singing. It's okay. Now, we're not going to kick you out. be mad at you. Uh, any of you struggle with singing? Raise your hand if that's the case. All right, and if you look around, there's a lot of men in the room that raise their hand, and uh, we struggle with singing. Now, I want you to think for just a minute about why it is that you struggle with singing. Most of the time, it's how we sound, right? It's maybe how we look, uh, because, because oftentimes, if you really sing the song and experience the song, you fool around and have some emotions on your face, you know what I mean? And dudes don't really like the show, uh-oh, I don't want to get anybody in any trouble here. I'm probably just let the cat out of the bag. Y'all didn't know that about guys. And uh, it, oftentimes what we're singing about is expressed on our face and our body language. So here's what he says in verse 1. Read with me. Praise the Lord. And this is what God says to do. Sing to the Lord a new song. Now, for whatever reason, I don't necessarily understand it, but God, in his infinite wisdom and his character, loves to hear his people sing. You need to write that somewhere. That's a thought, that's a truth that you need to allow to permeate whether you sing or don't sing. Because if the information you use to gather uh, allows you to sing or not sing, if your information is, I, don't, I feel uncomfortable, uh, I don't really do that, you know, uh, then you're not going to sing. And you're going to miss out on what God desires from you, okay? So, uh, God desires for his people to sing. And some of us... Uh, as far as man's concerned, don't sing very well. Well, you're supposed to laugh a little bit. Loosen up. I said us. I didn't say you. And so some of us don't sing really well. Some of us, we sing, is sort of painful, right, to wrestle through it. And, uh, and if you're around, and that's why over in my section, I always tell people, if it's not my wife, bless her heart, y'all pray for her. But I tell people, listen, I'm going to apologize because I can't help but sing. I'm going to sing. I'll be the. She'll laugh at me. Sometimes the drum cage hides the words, and I'll sing the wrong words. But man, I'm just singing to the king, and I sing loud because, well, I can't hardly help it. And so here's what he says in verse number one: uh, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord, and I love to talk about this for a minute. A new song. Now, usually when I say a new song, I get about half the folk mad at me. And they say, that preacher's talking about that new music, you know. (laughs) And I want to, first of all, kind of diffuse that this way. Every music was new music at some time. But he didn't say, sing new music. Because really, music is just arranged different ways. There's no new music. It's just music, same instruments that are used to arrange in different formats. Y'all tracking with me? Somebody amen? And so he didn't say sing new music because music is not Christian. Music is not worship. It's the words of the song that make it worship. You with me? That make it praise. So what he says is sing to the Lord a new song. Now some of y'all need to lay down your offenses and don't be offended because uh, in the 1800s uh, they threatened people that brought gospel hymns in because they said that stuff should be in the bar rooms and that kind of music shouldn't be sung in the house of God where only the organ pipes and chanting should be done. And so it's funny our little limited perspective. We think our way is the right way but this new song is not about the music. This new song is about the heart. Amen. And here's what he's saying. He's saying if you've been born again you've been made new by the blood of the lamb. You been made new by God, then you ought to sing to him a new song. Here's the new song. It's not a complaining song. 
It's not a, it's not a discontented song. It's a song we're going to call the song of the redeemed. Amen. It's the song that says, I've been born again. I don't deserve to be loved by God, but I'm so loved by God. I should be going to hell, but I'm going to heaven. I shouldn't know God, but I walk with him and talk with him. And there's a song, a new song, a song of the redeemed. And the word of God says it this way. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You ought to be singing to him. You ought to be singing together. All right, let me read a little further along. So he says, sing this new song. But he tells us in this particular passage, uh, he tells us where this specific passage is dealing with. He says, and sing his praise in the assembly, y'all help me, of the saints. Now, uh, what is he saying? He's saying when the saints of God gather together. They did it in the Old Testament. We do it in the New Testament. We gather together. Uh, people say it's, it's interesting to me how creative human beings can be in excusing ourselves from the assembly. Let me say that to you again. It's always interesting to me how creative we can be in excusing ourselves from the assembly. When the Word of God says, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves, as is the manner of some. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. So we should be gathering, and part of our gathering should be, according to this particular verse, should to do, be to do with, y'all help me, singing. Singing together, joining our voices together, uh, centered around the theme that Jesus Christ has come and bled and died and rose again, and now we have been redeemed from our past, and we've been rescued from our future. Come on, somebody. And we have this new song in our heart. It's why I struggle so much sometimes uh, when, when, when churches have what we'll call the special music. Y'all remember... Special, anybody remember special music? Ever been somewhere that has special music? We used to have special music here. And me and Tina would sit beside each other. And she'd be constantly patting me on the thigh. Because I'd be getting louder than the special music. She said my music was special. But it wasn't the same kind of special. And I'm singing. And she'd be going, shh. I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to listen. And it's why I'm leery. That's why I'm leery of people leading us in praise who are terribly gifted with a vo vocal, with a voice. Because if you'll notice, in the gathering, what will happen is, we will hear someone sing, and, and, and oh, it'll be so appealing to your ears that you'll stop singing. Watch it happen. And I'm over here praying, oh God, oh God, don't let them be impressed with some, some vocal cords that you put together in a certain format to make a certain sound. Don't let them back away, because this isn't about the person singing. It's in fact about, it's about you, God. And so he said, he said that we're to praise the Lord with song and to do it how? Together. You ever wonder why we don't do special music here? Anybody? Because I got sick of Tina patting me on the, show, on the leg and saying, hush now, hush now, hush now. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Here's what happened. I said there's never, I, I don't find a scriptural principle where one person gets in front of the people and praises him and everybody else has to just sit and kind of walk, listen and, and, pay, and pay attention, right? No way. Instead, what you find is, is the choir of the Old Testament and, and the singers, when somebody sing, guess what? They all would join in in unison. And man, I'm telling you, for me, when somebody starts singing about the Lord, I can't help it. I cannot help it. It's why I look at some of y'all and I'm like, how do you contain it, right? Maybe it is that you don't have it. But boy, when you've got it, when you've got eternal life and salvation and forgiveness, I'm telling you, it sits on the front edge waiting for somebody to hit a chord or a melody. And all of a sudden, that new song jumps in and says, ha, ha, that's me, that's my king. He saved me and redeemed me. And you can't help but sing. I'm telling you, you'll sing. So we are to sing. Praise the Lord with singing how? Y'all help me? Together. Don't let your voice be missing from the group. Sing and sing how? Together. Number two, 
In your notes, write this down. Verse number 2 and verse number 3. Praise the Lord with singing together. It's why you ought to sing. Not because you like to sing. Not because somebody likes to hear you sing. But because God said, sing to me. That's why you ought to sing. All right? And together. Assembling. Number 2 in your notes. Write this down. Praise the Lord with dancing. Uh-oh. I'm about to make some folk mad. And instruments. Dancing and... Come on, all together. Dancing. Say it with me. Dancing and instruments. Let's find it. Okay, is it in the Bible? Is it biblical? Is this man who's standing up here, uh, this, this less than ordinary guy, what, is what he's saying true? Let's find out. Verse number 2 and verse number 3. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Verse number 3. Let them praise his name. Somebody help me with the dance. Now, that'll mess you up a little bit, won't it? That may not fit into your uh, Baptist theology, systematic theology, how you were taught. I wish y'all smile at me a little bit. Some of y'all look so mad. I don't know what's going on with you. You're wrestling with something right now. And I understand. I've been there before. I remember a number of years ago, there was a revival going on at South Campus. And there was a man that came down. I won't say his name. But he'd come down to the altar and he just began to dance. You know, he'd dance. And he'd jump a little bit and rave his hands. And he's just crying and singing. And I remember thinking to myself, what is going on with that guy, you know? And the second night he did the same thing. And the third night he did the same thing. And I'm thinking, man, what is going on with this guy? And the fourth night, beforehand, we were talking with some of his family. And some of his family said, boy, did you see so-and-so? What, what do you think about him? And I just said, I better not say, I'm thinking to myself, I better not say anything. Because I'm, I'm probably thinking wrong, but I'm trying not to think. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to focus on me. And they said, what do you think about so-and-so? I said, I, I don't know. What, what do you mean? He said, well, you know that he was in a coma for 28 days? Did you know, here's what they said to me. Did you know that he, he they told him he would never sit up in the bed again? And after a couple months, that sucker sat up in the bed. And he said, would you believe that during that time, and he sat up in the bed, they told him he would never walk on his own again. And he said, you see him coming in the house? I said, yeah, he's moving pretty good. <laughs> he said, and believe this, he said that he would never have control of his muscles. Did you see him dancing? I said, yeah, that cat had control of his muscles. I'm telling you right now. He's swaying and dancing and jumping. And when, my, when that, we were finished, the Holy Ghost had worked up one side of me and down the other, amen, and dealt with my arrogance and pride to say, who do you think you are sitting in your chair judging somebody else's worship that ain't got not one thing to do with you, but has everything to do with the fact that I rescued him, amen? He can't help it, amen? He can't help but dance. He can't help but dance. I'm sure God's probably up there looking down at most of us saying, why don't you ever dance? Have you not, have you not thought much about what I've done for you? Have you not thought much about what I brought you out of? Have you not thought much about where you were headed? Have you not thought much about the high cost of your redemption? Have you not thought much about the gift of the Holy Spirit? Have you not thought much about the gift of the church? Have you not thought much about the gift? I'm trying to move on, y'all. I hope you're getting up what I'm putting down. We ought to dance a little bit before the Lord. Sometimes you see me over here. Me and Tina bumped each other four times, I noticed a minute ago. We dance a lot of times out of rhythm with each other. And so we're just bumping and hitting shoulders. And, and, uh, and it's because, here's the thing, there's a sway and there's a movement that happens in my soul when I'm, when I'm thinking about the high king of heaven, my king forever. I'm reminded of an Old Testament example of a man, king by the name of David, who was dancing before the Lord. And of course, all of the religious type of folk, if you will, get upset with that. And you remember what David's response was, I'll do more undignified than this. Amen. And so I wish unto God you and I would learn how to just simply praise him, even with a dance. Every once in a while, you see a little jig for the Lord. Amen. Let me look around some of y'all boys. Some of y'all are mad as you can be right now. And that's all right. I love you anyway. And it's not my word. Listen, you're mad right now and you're thinking, I can't believe he's saying this. I'm just reading from the word of God this morning. Amen. So don't get mad at me. If you don't get mad at somebody, get mad at God and work with him on it. Here's what you're going to find out. 
He's not going to change his word. Matter of fact, here's what it says about the Bible. The Bible says this about itself. His word is settled in the heavens. There's no council debating whether or not it's okay to dance before the Lord. God said dance. And so some of us need to, some of y'all, I hope today get along by yourself and just do a little jig for Jesus. It'll free you up. Listen, some, I'm telling you, for the first time in your life, you'll get freed up. Do a little jig for Jesus. Sometimes, every once in a while, I'll catch two or three, be, be in the back back there, and they'll be dancing and swaying a little bit, you know. And I'm saying, boy, hallelujah, they're doing a little jig for Jesus back in the back. And uh, you, you, we ought to do that. We ought to be able to dance before the Lord, all right? Let me move on. So he says, not only that, but I'm still in verse number three. For the Lord takes pleasure, or sorry, verse three, let them praise his name with a dance. But then also, I've got to give you a little testimony here. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the heart. The timbrel in the heart. Now, this is along the lines of percussion. If you will, you got the tambourine, you got the timber, you got things that make brass and percussion. And I would relate that to the drums. You ready? And so, uh, I remember many years ago down at South Campus when I think it was Dylan who uh, came and approached me, and Dylan played the drums this morning uh, in worship. And he came to me and said, he said, hey, what do you think about me, me you know, playing the drums this Sunday? And I'm thinking, no way. No way. Do you remember that, Dylan? I probably had that look on my face, you know, like I swallowed a, a frog or something. You know, I'm like, I'm trying to have, be polite. But Tina says oftentimes I don't cover my emotions very well. And so I'm trying to be nice to young Dylan because Dylan was very young at the time and an impressionable youth. And I'm thinking, we ain't playing no drums in the house of the Lord. That's irreverent. You know, we had our organ. We had our organ. You remember we had that organ set up there? And uh, we did first, second, and last. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? There's nothing wrong with that, but that's where we were. And when he said, I said, I don't fit into there. Ain't no way we can do that. And so I'm thinking, man, I, that's not what I was taught. You don't play the drums in the house of the Lord. It's irreverent. Wow. And then I fooled right around and said, but let me pray about it. Boy, I'm telling you what, if you'll ask God about things, he'll help you. And that week, the Lord said, let's just take a little journey on praise. And so I read Psalm 149, and then in Psalm 150, and it says, praise him with the loud cymbals. Then I'm thinking, my goodness, how have I let man shape my praise of the God who gave his son for me? And how could I let a Baptist systematic theology shape whether or not we can pound a drum when God said, pound a drum and pound it loud and pound it unto me? And I remember that. Going back to Dylan saying, yeah, matter of fact, we can. <laughs> we can play the drums. And I wish I could tell you that first time I was up there cheering for Dylan, I really wouldn't. <laughs> now, here's why. I was the problem. So I'm sitting up there. I still remember like it was yesterday. Remember, we still had them chairs, Dylan, on the, on the, on the stage. It's like a two-seater, you know, and I'm sitting up there. I just kind of cut my eyes over him at him once in a while, you know. And I'm thinking, he hit that first lick. Wow, I'm like, oh, man, Wow. <laughs> That's something right there, you know. And uh, the more he played, I kept looking at him. He had that smile on his face. And he was worshiping the Lord. I mean, he was just in it. You know what I'm saying? Like he was just praising God on, them, on, those, on those drums. And the Lord wrestled me down in that little wooden chair that I was sitting in. And simply spoke as a father to his son, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Setting the channel of your radio station and calling it praise. You don't get to choose what I like. I like the drums. Hey, from that day forward, we play the drums. Amen. We play the drums. Now I love it, man. I'm like, give him praise on them cymbals, son. Give it to him. What's the point I'm making here? He says, he says, praise ought to be about dancing and instruments and bringing them together for the purpose of giving praise and honor to the one who gave everything for me and you. 
So number one, we praise the Lord with singing together. Number two, we praise the Lord with dancing and instruments. And I'm going to give you an A and a B because I'm going to kind of rewind here a little bit and go back to verse two. I didn't touch verse two much. So why would I dance and why would I play the drums or the harp or the timbrel? And so here's what I want to say to you, letter A, because in verse two, he says, he's my maker. You see that? Anybody see it? Verse number two, let Israel rejoice in their maker. He made you, you didn't make him. He's the creator, you're the created. Find joy in the fact that God made you. And by the way, he fearfully and wonderfully made you. And I don't care what mistakes you've made and what sin you've gotten involved in and what mess you may have made of your life, your marriage, or your home. I want you to understand something. You were made in the image of God. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, the last couple of days, as I knew God was going to have me to preach this message, I really struggle with trying to shut up about the human body because if I get started, we'll be in here way after lunch. And I'm just mesmerized by the human body. The systems that are going on. You're sitting in your chair just listening. <laughs> I'm trying not to, y'all. I really am. <laughs> Let me just suffice to say, there's so much more going on in your chair, in your body, than you just sitting there listening. Now, I'm trying to move on. We are fearfully and wonderfully. We ought to praise Him because He made us. And we're the sheep of His pasture. And He has purpose for us. And He desires us. Second thing I want you to write down there, letter B, is in verse number 3. And that is, He is our King. Now, let me explain what that means for just a minute. So, He's our Maker. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We praise God. Listen, part of our praise is respect for the fact that He made us these awesome bodies and who we are and personalities and people in His image. Man, that ought to make you want to praise Him. But letter B, we praise Him because He's our King. You see it? Anybody looking with me? In verse number 2, actually still verse number 2, let the Israel rejoice in their maker. In the second part, let the children of Zion be joyful. Y'all help me in their king. Now this king, this king is, a, is, a, is, an, is an oxymoron, if you will. Let me explain what I mean. You and I, truth is, don't want a king. Anybody out there? We're born our own king, and we don't want anybody else fooling with that. You understand that? I wish I had a nickel for every time I told you to go check the nursery if you don't believe that. Little kings and queens in there, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you drop some of my mom back there, you'll know very well what I'm talking about. Little kings and queens. I want nobody to tell them what to do. And we're born that way with the nature of Adam. But there has to be a time when we're born again where we give allegiance to Jesus over ourselves. Y'all tracking with me? And so at that moment, he becomes our king. I love it. We sang about the high king of heaven. My king forever. Listen, what does the king bring into our life? He brings protection. You see, everything under the king's dominion, he protects, right? Now, we know that from the earthly principle of kingdom. Not only that, how about provision? Wouldn't you agree with me that whatever falls under the, the kingdom of the king, uh, they were always taken care of by the supply of what the king had. How about that? Think about it for just a minute. The fact that Jesus Christ is your king. He gives you protection from the enemy. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. He gives you provision. He, he purchased your own salvation, but also he gives you everything you need to live a godly life. How about for just a minute, here's a word, prestige. Someone challenged me on that one time. I said, now wait a minute, doesn't prestige promote pride? I said, not when you realize that you're only a king, a child of the king, a prince of the king, a, a princess of the king. A, a, you're only royalty because of the grace that God has afforded you. No, it doesn't promote pride. But it ought to cause you to stop and say, I'm not just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm a born-again saint, child of the living God, washed by the blood, given the Holy Spirit, part of the church. Somebody ought to smile in here. Boy, y'all are working me hard this morning. I'm telling you right now, the king... You ought to praise him 
because he was willing to step into your life and take authority and provide for you and bring his presence and protection and all that he brings to me and you because he's the high king of heaven. But here's one other thing, and here's the reason we sometimes don't praise him is because he also brings authority in our lives. We can praise him because before that, we're our authority. And good night, we'll lead ourselves to some desperate places, won't we? We need him to come and be the king, the high king of heaven in our own lives. Lord, above all things, leading us to a place of peace, a place of purpose. Well, I'm going to move on if I can for just a little bit. Move with me into verse number four. And I want you to write this down as to number three. Now, I told you there's only four. So number three, write this down. Praise the Lord for his salvation. Praise the Lord for his salvation. Last week we heard a message that said, David said to himself. Do you remember that little pep talk? Psalm 103. Get up and praise the Lord, right? David said to himself, get up and praise the Lord. And so today we're talking about what that praise looks like. It's a powerful way of life for the children of God, okay? So praise the Lord for salvation. Look at verse 4 with me. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Let me stop right there for a minute. Uh, I want you to understand something about God that you may not have heard uh, in a long time or maybe ever. And that is that God is not up there on his throne angry and waiting for you to mess up. Um, in fact, because of Jesus and because of his character, nature, and who he is, God actually takes pleasure in you. Now think about that for a minute. Now everybody else may be disappointed in you, and everybody else may look down on you, and everybody else may mistreat you, and everybody else may reject you, and everybody else may marginalize you. But what the Word of God says about him is that he sees me and you as precious in his sight. That he, think about that for just a minute. That he looks favorable. I want you to see that he takes pleasure in his people. You know where I learned this lesson the most? when I had children and then grandchildren. And so when you don't have them and, you're, and you're, you're, you're young, you want to be the one holding the gun, don't you? You want to kill the biggest deer. You want to be the one going through the mud hole. You want to be the... Y'all, anybody tracking with me out there? I wish you'd not so I know you're still awake. You know what I'm saying? In life, it's like all about us. And then you have a child. And all of a sudden, what happens? It changes. You start sacrificing your time that you used to have all your hobbies and things that you did. You change that. And you spend a little more time working to provide for them. And you sacrifice some things so they can have things. And Anybody tracking with me? And as a parent, when you see your children doing things that don't harm them, it brings you greater joy than anything that you ever did on your own. Would anybody amen that besides me? I mean, it's a different level of joy. And then you fool around and have grandkids. Hallelujah. And, the, and, and, and they ride in a trike, and, and you see them just having a good time riding a little trike on the back porch, and that brings you as much joy as killing a big deer. It's the craziest thing. It's the craziest thing. But can you imagine if that be true in our hearts, how much more so in our Heavenly Father? I need you to know something. Maybe nobody's ever told you. God takes pleasure in you. And when you do things that don't harm you and things that glorify you and you find joy in them, it blesses His heart. And so he says he takes pleasure in his children. Let me read a little further along. Uh, the Lord uh, takes pleasure in his people. And then the second part of he will beautify the humble with, y'all help me, salvation. Now when you think about how this is translated, the word beautify. Anybody use that word this week? You ever beautify anything? I don't know. I'm like, man, I don't know if that's even, I guess that's a word. It has to be a word because they translated into it. To beautify, of course, means to make something Beautiful. And when you think about an area of salvation, you beautify the humble with salvation. Humility means I can't save myself, you can. Humility says, blessed are the poor in spirit. God, I've got nothing without you. 
Uh, the scripture says that a person must first repent. You know what repentance is? A changing of the mind. What's the changing of the mind? I don't need to be the boss of me anymore. Repentance leads unto salvation. So the humble, those who are willing to say, I can't do this anymore. Uh, matter of fact, young Zach did it this morning right here. Full-grown man humbled himself and said, Jesus, would you save me? See the humility there? And you know what he does in response to that? He makes us beautiful. He said, now wait a minute. When I look in the mirror, I don't see beautiful. It doesn't matter what your eyes tell you, what your ears hear. What matters is the truth of his word. And his word says that in him you have been made Come on, say it. You can say it. He, you've been made beautiful. So he beautifies the humble. How did he do that? He sent his son into the world, wrapped him in flesh, came down born of a virgin, went to the cross, first experiencing life on human terms, except he did it without sinning. Showing us what God is like, wrapped in flesh so we could observe it in detail, and then went to the cross, beaten, rejected, ridiculed, mocked, and then crucified, nails through his wrists and feet until he died for the sins of all mankind. And any person who will put their trope and trust in him and his resurrection, they'll be made beautiful in the eyes of God. Isn't that good news? Man, that's good news this morning. Makes me, you know what it does? Makes me want to praise him, amen? That's the whole point of this. It's a powerful way of living. Praise. Now, let's get to the weapon part, number four, and moving right along. And this is where we're going to land the plane. Y'all ready? If y'all listen quick, we won't circle too much. Okay? Number four, write this down. Praise the Lord as a weapon. Now, I'm going to explain that to you. Okay, praise the Lord as a weapon. This is going to have an A, B, and a C. Can you believe that? So you better dig deep because fourth quarter, right? We're about to finish this thing. We don't want to limp to the finish line. So what happens next? He says, praise the Lord for he will beautify those who humble themselves with salvation. Then we pick up in verse number five. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouths. But listen closely. And a two-edged sword in their hand. When we sang that second song, my weapon is a melody, you might have thought some cute writer made that up. Uh, you may not have realized that that came straight from Psalm 149. A melody, what I sing is a weapon. Now, uh, some of y'all are like, yeah, you ought to hear so-and-so sing. Yep, clear the room. That's not the kind of weapon that I'm talking about, all right? What I want you to see today is the weapon. I want to talk for just a minute about our two enemies. Y'all ready? We have two enemies. If you've been, any, if you've been here any portion of time, you know that I teach we have two enemies. You say, wait, i got way more enemies than that. We, are not, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, so people are not your enemies. Your boss is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Satan is our enemy. So we have two. We have an internal enemy. Y'all help me. Who is that? Ourself. Fancy theological term, Adamic nature. It's just the nature of Adam, right? I know better. That's what na Adam's nature was. We still have it. Even when we're born again, we still wrestle with having that nature, correct? Yes. All right, Romans chapter 7. So, I have this nature of Adam in me, and it is an enemy constantly trying to get the steering wheel, okay? Then I have an external enemy who is Satan. Two S's, self, Satan. You say, wait a minute, what about the world? What about demons? What about all of that falls under his control? So he gets the, the external enemy, all right? Now listen to me. Both enemies are very formidable. Y'all tracking with me? They're there when you, when you, they're there messing with you. They're tempting you. The, the flesh nature is there when you go to sleep, when you wake up. He, he, she's always there. And they're formidable. They're very crafty. They'll talk you into things. Come on, somebody. They'll tempt you to take, take, take pleasures for the moment and cost you all kind of stuff. I'm telling you, uh, that's how they work. So he says that this 
Praise can be a double-edged sword in my hand as a weapon. Well, let's talk a little bit how that affects in the area of spiritual warfare, okay? So, praise, I'm going to give you something here that you need to get, all right? Praise reminds Satan, okay, of his past. How can my praising God be a weapon against Satan, right? Hey, Satan's attacking me. What should I do? Sing to the Lord. That sounds crazy. I mean, shouldn't I, shouldn't I do like they do in Hollywood? Spit on the devil and tell him to go back to hell and all that nonsense? You better not. The book of Jude says they dare not hurl reviling accusations against them. The archangel Michael didn't. You better not. Simply the Lord rebuke you. But praise, on the other hand, is a weapon. You say, wait a minute. How can a melody be a weapon? Here we go. Praise reminds the enemy of his past. Letter A. Write this down. First of all, it reminds the enemy, Satan, of his past position. How many of you know who Satan used to be and what his position was? Raise your hand. All right, just about half, maybe half of us. Before you leave, you'll all know. What was his original assignment? Here we go. Ezekiel chapter 28. All right, it's going to be on the overhead. Write it in your notes. You can go back and look at it. But I want you to see this. Why would praise be a weapon against Satan? That's a great question. Let's answer it. First of all, it reminds him of his past. Y'all help me. Position. What was it? Let's read, all right? Beginning in verse number 12 of Ezekiel 28. Son of man, take up lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You ready? This is a description of Satan. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in... How many of you know that Satan was in the Garden of Eden? You already knew that. The Garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. All of that workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you on the day you were created. When God created him, he created him as a walking instrument. By the way, did you see that word timbrel again? His original position, he has this timbrel and he's responsible for bringing praise to God. But now when you play the timbrel, uh-oh. You remind him of what he was created for and how he rebelled against it. So we read a little further along. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity, y'all reading with me, was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with, y'all reading with me, violence. Is it on the overhead? No. All right. Let's go back, okay? And pick up, and you were anointed cherubs who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. Listen. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Until what happened? Iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within you. And you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, a covering, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up. Why? Because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I'm so beautiful, look at me. Man, listen to the sound of this timbrel and how I can play it, how well it sounds and how good I am. It's why praise is, if we're not careful, it can become a trap. Listen, where we worship praise rather than worshiping the Creator. You tra- anybody tracking with me? Do you believe that human beings are capable of worshiping praise? If you don't believe it, consider this. On Sunday night, any given Sunday night, you could put your favorite Christian artist in the Brandon Amphitheater. They could charge you $100 a person, and it could be raining. 
And most people will stand in line for an hour and a half to sit through that for two and a half hours, but will not be faithful in Sunday night, gathering under the Word of God, praising the King with our hearts. We are so guilty of worshiping praise. And that's exactly what Satan's original position was praising. He began to worship the praise. Man, look how good I am. Look how beautiful I am. And boy, what a trap. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's a tremendous trap, right? And so we see his original position was that of praise. So when you sing unto God, you are uh, fulfilling the role of what he once was supposed to do. And yet what we learn from Ezekiel 28 is that Satan also had what God created in me and you when he, gave, when he created us, and that is something called free will. And the ability to choose. Letter B, it also reminds him, write this in your notes, of his past failure. His past position as the one who brought praise, but also his past failure. Let me explain. This is Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. If I ask you today, what did Satan fail at? Don't answer it. What would you say? If I was to come sit amongst all the youth and say, hey guys, y'all been under some great biblical teaching. You've learned what did Satan fail to do? What did he say he was going to do and not do? All right, would you be able to answer that? If not, you should after you leave. What did Satan say he was going to do and not do? Okay, fail at doing. We're looking for five I will statements. Now, when you say I will, you're setting up a goal of accomplishment. I will do whatever the, whatever the thing is. So let's see what it is that Satan said he was going to do. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Y'all tracking with me? Anybody else having any fun this morning besides me? Okay, good, good. Here we go. Verse 12. Now, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the... Na- Wouldn't you agree? He weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, this is, this is his attitude, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt whose throne? My throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. He's looking at how beautiful he is. He's listening how beautiful his praise and the instruments that he can play. And he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now listen, here's the culmination of it. I will, y'all reading with me? Be like, I'll be God. Look how beautiful I am. Look how good I sound. I'll be God. By the way, that's the same attitude that human beings are born with. I'll, I'll be my own God. It's the same thing that tripped up Adam and Eve in the garden. If you eat of this tree, you will be like God. And so he finds himself, and he says, I'm going to ascend. I'm going to, and by the way, every time you sing unto God the Most High, you're reminding him that he failed at what he said he was going to do. You know, I wonder sometimes why it is that we make it so comfortable for Satan to be in our vehicles and in our homes with the music that we listen to. And most of us think it doesn't really matter what kind of music we listen to. Most of us feel like that's old, ancient, old school, you know, religiosity, what have you. And the enemy keeps telling you that lie, and you keep putting it on, and you keep wondering why the enemy has such a heyday in your mind and in your life. It's because he's very comfortable in your vehicle. He's very comfortable in your home. Now, right now, you ought to just be considering what sort of music you listen to and how comfortable is it for Satan to be around you and the demons to be around you as they watch you. You say, what are they watching me for? They're looking for fault lines. You see, Satan can't read your mind. He doesn't know your weaknesses. He just sits and watches, and he waits for you to show your hand. And so, why in heaven's name would we make it comfortable for him to be around us by the music that we listen to? 
praise the Lord. Now watch this. When I began to sing to him, and I began to sing about the high king of heaven, my king forever, Satan's reminded that he said he was going to be the king forever, and he ain't. Amen? And he's reminded there's no comfortable place for him around me and you when we praise the Lord. Not only that, but he, he reminds, listen, when we praise, it reminds him of his past position, that angel responsible for praise. It reminds him of his past failure. He did not ascend to the throne of God. And finally, it reminds him of his future defeat. Now, let me show you this. In Isaiah, again, still in chapter 14, picking up where I left off in verse 15, and going to read down through 17. His future defeat. Now, wait a minute. I thought, I thought Satan's already defeated. All right? Just think on that for a minute. I thought Satan's already defeated. Is Satan already defeated? The answer is yes. At the cross, the Word of God says, listen... That Jesus made a public spectacle of the enemy. He embarrassed him. Used his own plan to get in Judas's heart to have Jesus crucified, which was God's plan all along. Now God can get inside the lives of human beings because Jesus Christ died for us and rose again. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? That's so wonderful. Now, as you're thinking, is this thing through? You say, wait a minute. Then why are you saying future defeat? Because right now he is uh, what I'm going to call like a dog on a leash. Uh, you know, the dog on the leash has to go wherever the leash owner directs them. Come on, somebody, pick, the, pick up what I'm putting down. What I mean by that is, as Satan brings havoc sometimes in your life and mine, we question, where in the world is God? I'll tell you, he's on his throne. And Satan is no more than a pawn, an instrument, are you with me, that God allows to bring suffering and difficulty to shape us and refine us and bring us close to God and make us more like God. How about that? Amen. The nature of Christ produced in us through various trials, according to First Peter. So we don't have to be afraid of him. He's a dog on a leash. But one day, he's going to be a dog in a pit. Now let's read. Isaiah 14, 15 through 17. Yet you shall be brought down, future tense, to Sheol. To the lowest depths, come on somebody, of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. And he's saying, that here's the imagery here. Uh, your final result will be such a way that if people could see you, they'd say this about you. Read with me. Uh, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Is this the Satan who tempted Adam and Eve? Is this the same, same cat that wreaked havoc in the lives of people? Who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities. Who did not open the house of his prisoners, but locked them away and left them there. Now here's the point he's making here. Imagine this. He's going to be at one day after the thousand year millennial kingdom. According to the book of Revelation, at that particular time he's going to be locked away in the pit. Now I want you to imagine being thrown in the pit and you've you got the falling sensation. You're in utter darkness. You're on fire. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And the scripture says that you'll be weeping. We all love to cry. You know, we all love to just spend a few hours every day crying, don't we? And eternally crying, never stopping crying, eternally crying. But also, because we all love gnashing our, grinding our teeth, because that's one of our favorite hobbies. For eternity, grinding your teeth. And I saw, a number of years ago, the most ridiculous bumper sticker. And I believe there's somebody probably in this room that believes the lie. Here's what the bumper sticker said. One day I'm going to hell and I'm going to run the party with Satan. And my precious friend, if I could help you to understand something, there's coming a day he's going to be locked in the pit. There's a future defeat coming where he'll be locked in the pit. And listen, what you'll not be able to tell is the difference between Satan, who's in utter darkness, crying his eyes out, grinding his teeth, on fire but in utter darkness, 
between him and the person beside him, in front of him, beside him, to the left and to the right, everybody's wailing and gnashing their teeth and crying in complete darkness. Doesn't that sound like a party you want to be a part of? And yet, Jesus Christ is the only way of escape. Not knowing about him, not going to church, not praying a simple prayer, but whether or not you truly believe Jesus, the Son of God, came down to earth, died for you and rose again, and you surrender your life, confessing him as Lord. Saved and rescued. Now, friend, I just want to challenge you today to say this. Wouldn't you stop fussing and complaining and spending your time inviting the enemy in on these songs about all the nonsense the world sings about? And begin taking every bit of little time you've got and praise the Lord of Most High. Let's bow our heads together for just a moment. Would you do that with me? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed just for a moment. Consider, if you would, the greatness of our God. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want to ask this question of you, okay, as you get settled in, get your stuff put away. Here's my question for those in the room, those who are listening online, those who will be listening to the podcast at a later time. Have you been complaining a lot lately? Has complaining become a way of life? As everybody in here has their head bowed and eyes closed, I want to just ask a question of the group this morning, okay? Since we're all in this thing together. Has complaining become a way of life for you? If it has, would you just slip your hand up for just a moment? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. It's most all of us, isn't it? Complaining, you know, about mom and dad, about rules, about work, about co-workers, about just complaining. And would you think with me for a moment, every moment we complain is stole away an opportunity to praise. We're letting the enemy rob us of what we were created for. That is to worship him and to praise him. Have you ever tried to praise him when you didn't feel like it? Preacher, are you telling us today we need to try harder to praise the Lord? No, not at all. What I'm saying to you is that you must draw near to Him. And the nearer you get, the closer you get, little glimpses of who He is. You know what I found? You can't help but praise Him. Nobody will have to fake it. Nobody will have to beg you. You'll just be walking around praising God. Instead of complaining about every little thing, you'll be praising the Lord and thanking God He pulled you out of the pit. Put your feet on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name, if there's one single soul in our midst who does not know you, like Zach this morning, came in, lost and separated from you, left and went home, your precious child. Whether they're listening online, driving down the road at the nurse's station in the captain's room, on the rig, wherever they find themselves, I pray right now in this moment, if they've never given their life to Christ, they would do it right now. No more wrestling. No more contemplating, no more pondering, but right now with reckless abandon, they would trust in Jesus' death and resurrection in such a way they'd surrender to him as Lord. Father, I pray you move right now. I know there's somebody in this room who needs Jesus. I pray they'd let go today and just invite Christ to be Savior and Lord. 
Father, I know there's some marriages in this room that are struggling. They need to just set Jesus apart as Lord. I know there's some young people in the room that are struggling, Lord. And the struggle is because within them, just like all of us, is a nature to do what they want to do when they want to do it. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you'd humble that in all of us. Help us to praise you. There's somebody in here, God, that's going through something so unmeasurably painful. Help them to see praise as their weapon and way out. You are still good. You are still gracious. You are still kind. You are still working. So, Lord, would you move during this time of response? Please change hearts today. God, draw people to the altar. I'm going to talk to you guys for a minute. Brian's down front with me. Gerald's going to help me down front in just a minute. I'm going to be down. Tina's going to be with me. If we could pray for you, if you've made Jesus Lord of your life, if you've just been struggling, something's stolen your praise, maybe you'd let us pray for you today. Maybe you'd take somebody. Maybe you need to get your friend, your best friend, y'all come down and pray that God would help you to pray. Stop complaining and start praising. Maybe maybe as a young person, you need to go get your mom and dad and say, I'm so sorry I've been complaining so much. I should be praising the Lord. Maybe a husband and a wife. I don't know. A single folk and their best friend. I don't know. But you let the Spirit guide you. Father, just take this time and do what you want to. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.